pray that you soften our hearts, help our minds be attentive as we open your word today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you've got elementary age kiddos, we'd love them to be a part of what we have going on with our Vine Kids time. Uh, they can go out that back door. I see Miss Logan back there. They can go out this side door here as well. If you have a middle school age kid, 5th, 6th, 7th, 8th, somewhere in that window, we've got an opportunity. Mr. Greg teaches in the back out there, and we'd love for them to be a part of, uh, of that time um, as well. So for those of you that were in here during announcements, uh, you would recognize that I mentioned that we are going, actually for the past couple of weeks I've kind of been alluding to it, that we're going to be kind of stopping our Gospel of John study for just a few weeks as we sort of explore a really critical and exciting place that we've come to as a, as a young community. And we do this periodically where we look at where the Lord's brought us and what things are in front of us and the opportunities that we have and who we really want to become. And we've kind of reached one of those critical junctures. We've actually had a couple of them as a little young community. We've come to places where we've had to take either small steps or, or giant leaps of faith. And as a community, a long time ago, we threw out all the sort of church planting handbooks, and we've skipped all the seminars on how to grow from like 100 to 1,000 overnight, and we've opted instead for like what we believe to be a true and biblically kind of authentic picture for the community that we're called to be. We haven't done a whole lot of things right. Some of those things we've done intentionally wrong. Some of them we've done accidentally wrong. We've learned as we've, our, as we've gone. Our goal from the very beginning was never to plant a healthy church. Our goal from the very beginning was to simply be fully obedient to Christ, whatever that meant and wherever he led, and what we decided was we wanted to be a part of whatever that church looked like. So every book that was out there that said, this is what you need to do, this is how you should do it, and these are the six easy steps to having nine campuses or whatever, we decided we didn't want any real part of that. Not that that was wrong, it just wasn't who we were. We wanted to be fully obedient to the Lord. And whatever he did, we wanted to be a part of that church. The church that we kind of all longed to be a part of was one that was just fully obedient to Christ, right? Uh, however he wanted to define health, whatever that looked like, whatever sort of authentic picture that played out as, we wanted to be fully obedient. And that's led us through a lot of different places. And my entire heartbeat for this community since we began was really wrapped up in three pieces. And those three things have taken different forms over the years. Uh, you've heard me teach on them in various forms or fashions. They've come out in different ways, but those three pieces have always sort of remained exactly the same. And, and the first one really is this, that we would be and we would exist, that everything we would do would be for the glory of Jesus alone, period, and forever. So that like, whatever we were about as a church, it would be for God's glory alone. That we wouldn't celebrate ourselves, that we wouldn't celebrate people, that we wouldn't hold pastors or worship leaders up on some kind of pedestal as if they're the only thing that matters or if people come to see them. That we wouldn't look at ourselves and pat ourselves on the back as a community and say, look what we've really done. The truth is that everything that we do, we exist to do for the glory of God. That we want Jesus to be exalted and honored above all forever, period. You've seen that come out in all kinds of various forms, but it's this guiding sort of thought and principle that I have as I think and I pray and I lead this community is that Jesus gets all the glory, period. The second one is that we would unabashedly preach and teach the gospel as we see it laid out in the whole of Scripture without hesitation and without reservation. So that everything that we did on a Sunday or in our Bible studies or wherever that was would be a passionate preaching of the gospel as we see it played out in the whole of Scripture, meaning Old and New Testament, all of it points directly to the person of Jesus Christ. That God has got a redemptive plan through Scripture and that we want to examine the whole of Scripture and the gospel that bids us to come and die in the middle of it. 
And then we would be unashamed in how we preach it. We would do it without hesitation and without reservation. If you've been coming at all, you've probably seen that woven through everything that we teach. The way that we look at scripture, we want you to fall in love with God's word. I literally couldn't care less if you felt like I entertained you. I want you to have this love affair with the word of God. And it's been something that's guided and pushed our heart as a church since day one. And the third thing that you've probably come across at some point in time is that we have pushed back from manufactured community that produces pictures of perfect buildings and perfect people. And instead, we've opted for something that's more organic, more authentic, more complicated, more messy, and more transparent. Um, That doesn't make for a very good exchange. But we've longed for it. I would much rather be a part of a community that was operating in a way where its, its people were organic and authentic and complicated and messy than to produce a picture of canned community where everything looks like we're doing this all together, dressed like and living in a banana republic, right? Don't have any desire or interest in that. And we've pushed back against that. And that's made some complicated things along the way, right? It's made for some hard kind of ways to do this. It's made for some raw places. It's made for some pieces where we've gone, hey, we're going to learn how to do this differently together. But it's been a movement in which we've all kind of been a part of for the past few years. Now, those of you who've been with us from the beginning will recognize a lot of these things. Those of you that are sitting here for the very first time are saying, hey, man, I'm just, just here. Lay off me, brother. We're glad you're here. But I want you to understand that that's who we are, and it's who we were from day one. And it's even more important that that's who we are in this moment because we've reached another milestone as a community. Now, for those of you that have been coming since 2015 when we first moved into this space, you may recognize this. For those of you that haven't, this will be a little bit of a learning curve. But when we moved into this space from the Iglesia building, which was our previous location, before that we were at the Will Rogers Theater right over here. Uh, We moved from the Iglesia building, which is a really small building up there across from Bishop McGinnis High School. We moved here in 2015. We're averaging about 115 people in total worship with about 19 children, 2015. Uh, Today, which is not giant or huge, we're averaging about 150-ish people and about 42 children. Now, those numbers don't sound staggering because literally Live Church loses that many people in the parking lot on any given Sunday, right? And I think a guy crossing sneezed and like 150 people flew out the back door. So I recognize that they don't sound like staggering figures, but for us, they're huge numbers. That means that we've had this 40% increase in just total attendance and 121% increase in number of children, okay? So when you do the math that way, it's like, whoa, dude. That's a lot. We've had a lot of babies. We've had a lot of babies, right? And we've got a lot of people. And so the truth is, for our little community, those are big numbers. And we've come up against a place where it's time to examine how we steward and use this particular space the best. We moved in here in 2015. We raised enough money, and we, we took out a little bit of a construction loan to build out this space. Those of you who've been here will remember that. It was an old furniture store. We gutted it and remodeled it to function the best that we could, and we put in kids' classrooms. And we left behind us about 1,500 square feet that we didn't have the money at the time to build out, but we thought we'd hold on to. And as time warranted, we then build it out when we were ready. Well, as you can imagine, we are ready. Our numbers are pushing our children literally to the brink of, I mean, they are out the doors. And we do not have enough space for the way that our community is growing. And we're growing in terms of young families. and We're growing in terms of kids. And we have, actually have a lot bigger dreams of what we want to be able to do, not just with the space, but as a community in terms of 
how we use this space for the community, how we outreach, developing full, real youth ministry. We have all kinds of dreams and desires that we believe the Lord is leading us to. And we want to be a great steward of this space. And so we've reached this place where it's time for us to kind of examine what it would look like to build that space out and fully utilize this incredible thing that the Lord has given us to be able to really do the ministry that we feel called to do and be a part of. So over the next few weeks, we're going to kind of exploring in that vein sort of who the church is calling us to become. Because here's the deal for me. If anyone were here in 2015, you will remember that this idea of raising money or of investing money into space or trying to think about location really doesn't sit well with me. It doesn't resonate with my heart. We are not defined by space. We are not defined by our location. This building has zero to do with who we are as a church. It's simply a place that we can gather. If the Lord moved us from here to somewhere else tomorrow, we started meeting in a tent, we would just as much be the church as we are as we meet right in this moment. So for me, it's a real wrestle because my goal is not to invest money into some kind of structure for the sake of investing money into the structure and saying, look, here's what we need. The truth is, if that's all that we're going to do or we're going to be about, then I don't want to be a part of that church. That's just true. But we hit these necessary places where we have to examine what the Lord is doing and where he's brought us from. We have to ask ourselves a bunch of really important and I think serious questions. So we're going to, we've been kind of going through that all summer. Our elders have been praying through that and kind of working through that. And we've been leading us to this place where we believe that it's time for us to examine what the Lord has for us and how we can best utilize and build out this space. So the next three weeks, we're going to kind of be looking at that. And I'm not going to talk through all the numbers here um, uh, on Sunday morning. Actually, I have a much bigger thing that I kind of want to do here. But I want to let you know, this is the, the sort of the backbone, the foundation of why I'm going to be exploring the things I'm exploring over the next three weeks. Because if this is just about building out space, I really want, I, I want out. But really what it's about is us saying, what matters to God and how should that matter to, why should that matter to us? And I believe that we've identified a lot of things over the years in Scripture that matter to the Lord. And I've pulled out three of these things that I think truly matter to God in terms of the economy of heaven. And I want to examine on how they should matter to us. Because I believe they're the things that are driving who we are as a church and who we want to become. So I'm not going to go through numbers and all those pieces, but I'm going to give you a couple of ideas of of how that's going to unfold. On the 8th of October, up here in our building on on, uh, 7 o'clock, we're going to have a prayer meeting. It's going to just be a gathering of our community that wants to pray of just seeking the Lord's face and what he's doing. Uh, I'm going to go over details of kind of what that's going to look like and what our build-out might look like and what that's going to free us up to do and talk about vision, all those kind of things on that, that Monday night. So if you're free, we'd love for you to come. Our Bible study is going to meet at 6.30, and then we're going to all come in here and pray um, at 7. We will have child care available, so we'd love for you to be a part of that. If you're, a, if you're a, a member or a regular attender, like meaning you've been coming really, really regular over the past year or so, you can expect a phone call from one, uh, either myself or one of our elders to just kind of visit with you on the phone about what it is uh, that we're doing, answer any questions that you have, and uh, give you some thoughts on things that you can pray for and how you can be a part of this process uh, with us. So my goal on Sunday morning is to not to go through details of, of brick and mortar and things like that and of our, of our attempt to raise the money to build out the back and, and reduce or bury the remaining um, capital debt that we had on this building. My goal this morning is to tell you why I believe the Lord is calling us to be the church that he's calling us to become. Because if that's what we're chasing, if that's what we're following, that's where we're putting our feet, then that's the church 
I still want to be a part of, right? And so I've really wrestled with this over the summer as I've sought and I've thought about what it is that the Lord is doing. And as I examined all these things, I came to this kind of conclusion that in the economy of heaven, the one matters to the Lord. Now, you've heard me preach on that before, right? We talk about the one in terms of the individual, and we're going to get to that. But I think really when you look at it in Scripture, the idea of the one really matters to God even beyond the idea of the individual. And we're going to look at three of those things over the next three weeks that I think truly matter to the Lord and thus should truly matter to us. And the one we're going to look at this morning, I'll kind of give you all three just so you know where we're going. The one we're going to look at this morning is this, is that we should exist for the glory of the one true God. All through Scripture, we see this picture painted. There is but one God, and as followers of Christ, we exist for his glory. That the unifying heartbeat of the collective church, big C, not just here, but down our street and across our town and through our state and across the this nation all over the world, should the unifying heartbeat necessarily won't always be the ins and outs of theology. It won't be the ins and outs of how we read this verse or how we understand this. The unifying collective heartbeat should be that we all exist for the glory of the one true God through the person of Jesus Christ. And I believe that one matters to the Lord. I also believe that we should exist for the nurture of the one universal church. God loves the church. He created the church. Jesus is the head of the church. The entire New Testament is written so that the people of God may live in community, in imperfect community, but in community. And the church should exist for the nurture of believers. That's one of the key components of what it means to be the church, that we exist for the nurture of the one true church, and not the individuals just in here, but that we exist so the church may be the hands and feet of Jesus around the world to nurture believers into fully functional disciples of Jesus Christ. The one universal church matters to the Lord. And the final thing we're going to wrap up is that, that we exist for the salvation of the one through the gospel of Jesus Christ. That our entire heartbeat as a church should be that we want to preach and proclaim the gospel so that the one might be saved. This isn't an introspective look on the maintenance of ourselves, that we exist because the one individual matters to the Lord. It's all over Scripture, right? You've heard me talk about it. We'll examine it. The, the lost son, the parable of the lost sheep, the lost coin, the individual, the one, matters to the Lord. He leaves the 99 and he pursues the one because the one in the economy of heaven matters to God. And how you go from 100 to 1,000 does not matter. It's the pursuit of the one that God has given in front of us that we say we want you to know Jesus. Your neighbor, your coworker, your brother, your mom, person sitting next to you, the person on the street over there, the person that lives in this neighborhood right here, like we exist so that the one may come to know Christ. And as I was really praying through all this summer, what I really landed on was this idea is that I want to be a part of the church or a church or the church that the one matters to the Lord. That God, we exist for the glory of the one true God, that we exist for the nurture of the universal church, and we exist for the salvation of the one. But these would be the things that drive us. What drives us is not the fact that we have space that we could build out. I mean, heck, we existed forever with a trailer, right? Until that got stolen, and then we existed without a trailer, right? <laughs> those of you that remember those days, those were good days. So what we're going to do over the next few weeks is we're going to explore those principles in depth in light of the idea of building and raising and money and doing those things. That's not what we're going to do on Sunday morning. We'll, we'll approach that in the different avenues. But we're going to approach this thing with a concept of what would it look like 
if we truly stepped into the economy of heaven where the one matters. And so this morning we're going to explore that first one, that we exist for the glory of the one true God. And every time I look at this idea of, of this sort of one true God, I'm always drawn back to the exact same set of verses. And they come out of the book of Philippians chapter 2, where we're going to spend our time this morning. Because we're going to see that the entire person of Jesus Christ, right, is for and exists for the glory of God. And that we're going to learn that as Jesus' life was this picture of God's glory, thus our lives should be a reflection of God's glory as well. So we've seen these verses before in action, and we're going to see them again this morning. So if you've got your Bible, I want you to open up to Philippians chapter 2. Um, and we're going to examine that am- amazing section in there, Philippians 2, 5 through 11. As we take a break from the Gospel of John, we examine the economy of heaven and why the one matters. And in particular this morning, why the church should exist for the glory of the one true God. So as you're flipping there to those pages, let's take a moment and let's just pray together. Lord, I think it's really great for us as a community to stop for a moment and just ask ourselves, who do you want us to be? Lord, what drives us? What matters to us? What defines us? And as individual followers of Christ, those same questions apply. Lord, what what should matter to me? What should drive my family? What should be my set of priorities? Why do I exist? These are really powerful and very real questions. And the truth is, a lot of us wrestle with them on various, in various ways and in various forms. But they're really important. Because the things that matter to you should be the things that matter to us. And the things that you call us to should be the things that we are. And so, Lord, for the next moments and for the next few weeks, I pray that what you would do is you would empty us a little bit as a community. Let us take an examination of who we are and who you're calling us to become. Uh, correct our course, Lord. Reestablish in our hearts your lordship and the headship of Christ, both in our families and in our church. And remind us through scripture of exactly who you are. Majestic, holy, righteous, mighty God, who is Lord and who is holy and who is never-ending. Take a moment in your own heart and just ask the Lord to teach you this morning. Whatever he needs to speak to you or or say to you or, or just press into your heart, just ask the Lord to teach you something this morning. Take a moment and pray for someone beside you. Even if you don't know their name, we do this each week. We want to be in the habit of praying for other people. Everything that unfolds here on Sunday morning is not about you. It's not about me. We want to be used. We want God to speak in the lives of people. We want him to change trajectories of hearts. We want him to redeem and restore. Pray for somebody this morning that's around you, even if you don't know their name. Just pray that God would move in their heart this morning. Lord, we turn our time over to you. We ask that you would shift our direction a little bit from where we've been over the past year and a half. Uh, Focus our attention into something new and teach our hearts this morning in a way that only you can. Reveal truth to us through your Holy Spirit. We ask this in the risen name of Jesus, our Savior and our Redeemer. Amen. 
So all that kind of backstory is a little bit necessary just to kind of get you to where we are because it is an exciting time in our, in our community. And we are excited about what God is doing and we are excited about the way he's kind of growing our families. But really, what we want to be excited about is that we want to be obedient. We just want to be at a place where we say, Jesus, we'll pull the plug when you say pull the plug. We'll go when you say go. We'll, we'll follow when you lead. Lord, we will be a community of people that just say yes to you. As hard as that may be, as difficult as that may be, we will say yes. Just reveal yourself. And I started thinking about that as our church. And I started reflecting on my own life, and I realized that at times there's these incredible disconnects in me. The disconnect between what I say I believe about Christ and what I actually live, right? And I think that might be true for, both of, for all of us here, that we have these disconnects where we, we believe these things about Jesus, and we believe them with all that we are, but, but the disconnect in how we actually live them out is just staggering sometimes. And as I talk about being obedient and living a life of faith and wanting to say, Jesus, wherever you go will lead, I look at my own life and I'm like, man, how long to be that over here, all the things that I proclaim. What we're going to see this morning is a little bit of that, that the things we readily claim and admit have got to be matched up with the way that our lives, both as a church and individually, actually function. That if we believe that Jesus is Lord, we've got to be willing to actually live that Jesus is Lord. If we believe that Jesus should receive all glory, then our lives have got to reflect all that, that he gets all glory. So what we see in Philippians chapter 2 is this really powerful text, right? Paul loved the Philippians. Most of Paul's letters were written to resolve conflict. The Galatians, they were having issues with Gnosticism. All of Paul's letters are really, the church in Corinth was fighting like crazy. Paul was writing his letter basically to say, stop it. Philippians is really the only letter we have where Paul is not writing to address just some massive heresy. He's actually writing them to tell them how much he loves them and how grateful he is for them. And they were a people that were living in really difficult circumstances. Persecution was rampant. They were coming out of a massive civil war. They were living in famine. They were poor. It was a rough time to be a follower of Christ, especially in that community. And Paul's writing them to tell them how much he loves them. And in chapter 2, he, he uses this really incredible piece of text to both declare a few things about Jesus and to be utilized as part of the worship experience of the church. If you look at chapter 2, you'll see that verses 5 through 11 are offset in your text, which means there's something really special about it. Most likely those verses were already well known, were being used as part of the worship life in the community. And so Paul is most likely quoting a hymn or a poem that was part of a worship expression that the church was already using. And this is what he says in chapter 2, 5 through 11. He says this, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing. Taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above all names. The name of Jesus, every knee shall bow on heaven and earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Now, you may be familiar with these verses because you've read them or heard them many times, and also because way back in 2013, we worked through the book of Philippians verse by verse. 
And we talked about these verses extensively. We're taking a little bit different angle at them this morning because I want to examine them in terms of our living response to who God is. And what we see first in those verses is this idea that Jesus' very life was a living response to the glory of God. Now, we know that, we've seen that as we've explored the Gospel of John, but what we really see played out in these verses is that Jesus himself is an expression of God's glory. The way that he lived is this living response, this humility, right? This self-sacrifice, living response to the glory of God. So the verses tell us that Jesus did a couple of things, very intentionally. That Jesus being in very nature God, well, this would be very familiar to us having worked through John, right? That Jesus is God. That he is God in the flesh. That he is the word, the logos of God as we explored back in chapter 1. Being in very nature God, meaning Jesus is himself God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing. The better translation is actually emptied himself. And Jesus didn't empty himself of his deity. He emptied himself of his status, taking on humanity, right? He didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped, made himself, emptied himself to be nothing taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness and found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on the cross. So Jesus' life was this expression of surrender, this expression of humility, all for the glory of God. Because God was, Jesus emptied himself and became obedient to even death on the cross. I begin to think about the humility of Christ, right? This is, we examined this the past two weeks. This is, this is God in the flesh. The God that made creation, that formed the tree, and that breathed life into your lungs. This is the God that hung the stars. This is the God that before you ever were, knew every moment and day of your life. This is that God that would then come and walk this earth, serving the creation that he made that ultimately would crucify him. The very creation he breathed life into would be the creation that would mock him, that would take that crown of thorns and would shove it on his head as we explored last week, that would mock him as they hung a purple robe on his back and yelled, Hail, King of the Jews, and would slap him in the face over and over again. This is God. This is Jesus who thus emptied himself and became obedient, even to the point of sacrificial death. And as I look at those verses, I think to myself, If I'm a follower of Christ, and I'm called to emulate Jesus' life, what I see in that picture is this incredible picture of humility. And not humility in terms of how you and I think about it, which is, hey, you do something great, and somebody says, hey, you really did that great, and you're like, oh, that wasn't me, right? Not humility that deflects glory. Not humility that says, you know, when when I give, I do it anonymously. But I'm talking about humility that recognizes who God is and who you are not. I mean, true biblical humility actually begins there. It begins with an understanding that God is majestic and holy and mighty. And that you are full of sin and garbage and that you are a mess and that you are none of those things that he is. And yet that God in his infinite, amazing, incredible grace sent his son to give you life where you should be separated forever in some ditch somewhere because of our actions. That we are God's enemies as we explored last week, right? That God in his infinite wonder does not treat us as our sins deserve, but instead sends Jesus. That if we put our faith and our hope and our trust in him, we have this promise of eternal life. Humility begins with understanding who God is 
and who you're not. The most important, really, understanding in all of theology is the understanding of our own depravity. Now, you and I are deeply broken. And that, yet the God of the universe has called us into this relationship with him, and he's called us to surrender our lives to him. And Jesus' entire existence was for the glory of God. Being in the very nature of God, he emptied himself and just said, God, I, I choose to be obedient to you, to offer my life, even death, on a cross. And for you and I, this great tension, right, is about this idea of control. And I've said it a thousand times. I've preached on it a thousand times. The greatest tension point in our relationship with the Lord is the, over the idea of control. God calls us to give it up, and we want to hang on to it. And the great irony in all that, right, is that control is an illusion. There is no such thing. You cannot control anything. But we like to believe we can. And so we want to release just enough to the Lord to where we feel like we're walking with Him, yet we have to sacrifice nothing. We want to give just enough to the Lord. We feel like we have this relationship where he is somehow in control enough. But I'm not going to let go of those strongholds or those things or my finances or my struggles or my marriage or that thought life or that one behavior I'm doing or whatever it is. I'm going to release enough control as long as I have my hands on this thing. And we wrestle and we fight with the Lord. And the great irony, right, in all that is that we can't control anything, and yet God is in control of all things, knows all things, knows every day before you drew life, and we're fighting with that God over whether or not I should give my resources, my heart, my life, right? Jesus' living response to the glory of God was humility that he obediently chose to go to the cross. Likewise, our living response to the glory of God should not be to fight with him over control. Our living response to the glory of God should be, Jesus, I want to release my control to you. Every single one of us has probably walked in here this morning with some kind of control issue we're fighting with the Lord. Financially, I'm petrified. God's calling me to give it away. He said it's enough. He tells me to provide for me. I'm petrified status, right? I don't know what people think about me. I don't know how I should do this. I don't know what it is. Or my job. My job is this, or I don't like it, and God's calling me to release and trust Him. Or my struggles, my marriage, my relationship, whatever it is, we're walking here, and we're wrestling with a God who knows all and is in control of all and promises to never leave us nor forsake us and has never, ever, ever failed us. And our memories are so short that we will wrestle and fight that God. And when we do that, right, when we do that, We're living in the opposite of God's glory, right? That should bring about humility in us. Instead, we're fighting the God of the universe for what we don't even really need. The first picture that we see of Jesus there is one that's really powerful. That his very life, his very living response was humility for God's glory. It really transfers the church as well. I mean, golly, we should exist as a people that say, God, we want to exist for your glory. We're not interested in patting ourselves on the back or looking at, you know, I saw an article the other day of the, the 10 fastest growing churches in America. And I thought, how do we fight against the sort of self-congratulatory movements of Western church? 
to pat ourselves on the back for sizes and growths and things and campuses and whatnot, instead of just saying, Jesus, if you want to close the doors, we're great with that. Like, we just want to be faithful. The second thing that we really see in there, which is equally as powerful, comes in verse 9. It says, therefore God exalted Jesus. God exalted him to the highest place. Gave him the name that is above every name, that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So there's one unifying factor in those verses, and that is this. Jesus is Lord. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Now, most of us in here are fully okay with, we're here at church this morning, we're fully okay with Jesus as Messiah, Jesus as the Christ, Jesus as God's Son, and we may even proclaim or say that Jesus is Lord. But there's a disconnect in my life between proclaiming Jesus is Lord and actually living that Jesus is Lord. Because the idea that Jesus is Lord means that he is Lord not only over heaven and earth, but he is Lord over my life. And to acknowledge that Jesus is Lord over my life means that he is over all things. Every part, every dream, that all of my stuff and my life and my people, they belong to him. That my life and everything in it is not mine, but it belongs wholly to the Lord and for his glory. When we open our lives to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, essentially what we're saying is this, Jesus, you are my Lord, therefore you get control over all of my, my, quotes, things. We want to worship and serve a God, right, who is fully God, who is fully worshipable, but that I don't have to fully surrender to. And the great juxtaposition of the Christian faith is that I can claim that Jesus is Lord and not actually surrender to him as Lord. If you're feeling a lack of peace and a lack of rest in your own life, I can promise you it's most likely because you've got this tension between proclaiming Jesus is Lord and not letting Jesus be the Lord of your life. And by Lord, I literally mean by releasing all of your fears and your anxieties and your pains and your hurt and your sin and your stuff and your struggles over to the God, right, who is Lord of all. And what, what we're seeing here is this. That Jesus, who is Lord, that God has exalted him to that place and given him the name that is above every other name. That at his name, every knee will bow on heaven and earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess. Now, here's what I want you to see Jesus is Lord, whether you want to acknowledge it or not. So, just because we may not be able to fully give everything over to Jesus, Lord, or you may not want to acknowledge it, does not mean that he is not. Jesus does not need your vote. He does not need your approval. God has exalted him to the highest place and given him the name that is above every other name. He is not sitting up in heaven saying, please, I need you to sing me a song because I'm lonely. Jesus is not up in heaven saying, please believe that I'm Lord. I really need that for my ego. God has exalted Jesus. He has given him the name that is above all name and every single knee shall bow in heaven and earth and under the earth, meaning Jesus is Lord, whether you want to acknowledge it or not. But the call of the follower of Christ is to claim that Jesus is Lord and then release my life to that truth. 
And it is a great tension point in my life. That I am wonderfully, and I believe it with everything that I am, that he is Lord, and that I will proclaim it till the day that I die. And the tension is that in the way that I live, I'm petrified to release my life to the one I call Lord. And it's the great irony of the Christian faith, and it's even stronger in our churches. That we stand up here and we worship and we raise our hands and we do all these things and we kind of go, Lord, you are great, and we sing and we sing and we sing, and then we create our own paths and our own directions, excuse me, our own markers. We pat ourselves on the back for our own accomplishments. I want to be at a place as a church where if we say Jesus is Lord and he says literally, this has been great, but we're done, that I would say, amen. Or if he changes our path and says, this is not what we're doing, and he gives us his instruction to go and do this, that we would do that, whatever that is. <coughs> Excuse me. Jesus is Lord. We see Jesus' lordship fully displayed, or the, the glory of God fully displayed in Jesus' lordship. That he would take his son and he would elevate him and he'd say, this is my glory on full display. Jesus lordship is God's glory on full display in your life. When you surrender your life to the lordship of Jesus Christ, you are putting the glory of God on full display. When the church, big C, surrenders itself to the lordship of Christ, Jesus, you are the head. It is not some guy, some pastor. It's not some celebritized worship leader. It is not one singular voice. You, Jesus, are the head of the church, and we will follow and surrender you to you. When we live like that as a community, when we collectively seek the Lord together, God's glory is on full display through the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And then finally, what I want you to see in this last little piece is just sort of sums, <coughs> excuse me, sums these things all up together. Verse 11, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus' very life was for the glory of God. Jesus' life was not for the glory of man. It wasn't even for the glory of Jesus as a human, fully human, fully God. His life and picture were an obedient reflection to glorify God the Father. Jesus says this all in the Gospel of John. We've seen a hundred times, Lord, that you might be glorified. Jesus' life and death and resurrection were all so that God himself, the Father, may be glorified. Everything that we are and everything that we should be should be for the glory of the one true God. It's a really hard thing to do in our Western church community to say, God, we want to deflect all the glory for and everything that we are for you. You get all of the glory because you are the only one that is holding these things together. As I've read through all kinds of stuff over the years about what it means to be a church and how we can do this or how you can do that or planting healthy churches and all these resources that are out there, I always bristled at most of these resources because they were always built around formulas, projected ideas, people. Very few of these resources come out and say, hey, look, build a church that's committed to God's glory. And then just see what he does. Most of it is do X, Y, and Z. Hit a critical number of 225. Split into two services and move to the suburbs. 
right? Hundreds of those. Jesus' entire life walking this earth, dying on the cross, being raised, all of that was so that God's glory would be on full display. What if the entire heartbeat of our church, the reason we even gathered to worship on a Sunday morning would be so that God's glory would be on full display? So that you, who are a broken disaster, and I, who am a broken disaster, have been rescued and saved and redeemed by Jesus. And he's taken these broken disasters and he's pieced us together in some kind of non-perfect but beautiful picture of his glory and grace. And the fact that he saves and he redeems is a picture of his glory on full display. And the fact that we want to be a people in a church that has surrendered to the lordship of Christ is a picture of God's glory on full display. What if we existed so that we might be a reflection of the glory, absolute glory of God for the entire world? Not so they could say, I mean, look what those people have done, but they could say, look what God has done with those people. He's taken that group of, I mean, the truth is, we're from every walk of life, man. I'm, most of us are gathered here because you're disenchanted with every church you came from, right? You brought all of your issues from that church, and you brought them here. It's just who we are. Yet God takes all of that stuff and he uses it for his glory. Like the fact that we get to gather here and we get to do this and we get to even meet in community at all should be because we want God to be glorified. What's the heartbeat of your family? As a family, as a unit, do you exist so that God may be glorified in you? So that people may see the glory of God on full display? Not in your perfection. Not in your perfect picture where you're all standing in matching shirts, Right? But that God may be displayed that even in your brokenness or your struggle of a marriage or your struggle with your children, that you may still be able to point people to the God that holds all of that somehow together. That you would let people into your lives and homes to see the real part of you. That you would listen to coworkers even when they politically disagree with everything that you're about. That you would love people the way that Christ loved them anyway. What if everything in your personal life was driven by the fact that you just wanted people to see the glory of God. This is a great disconnect, right? Because as a culture, what do we want? We want people to see the glory of me. We are driven by a culture that says, give me credit, like me, approve of me. I mean, you don't have to look very far. Just think about your social media posts. How many of you have ever been disappointed when no one likes it or no one puts a little heart by it or whatever? I mean, seriously, we look at that, we're like, why can't I get more affection, more response? My needy ego needs those things. We live in a culture where we want people to see us. We doctor pictures, we put all kinds of things on there. We, sh we try and produce an image that brings glory to ourselves. Not because we want to change or exchange that for God's glory, but just because we're so needy and broken. What if as a people of God, as a, as a person, as a family, you decided that the glory of the one true God was going to be your mantra? It was going to be your heartbeat. It was going to be your collective just passion. God, I don't care what anybody thinks about me. I want them to see you. The glory of God is on full display in the person of Jesus Christ. And the glory of God is on full display when the person of Jesus Christ is alive in you. As a church, and I'll wrap everything up by saying this, whether we're building buildings or whether we're not, 
whether we're meeting outside in the tents or whether we've got a trailer driving around to different places. Our goal has never changed. We want Jesus to be glorified always and forever. I do not care if anybody looks at us and says, oh, great church, bad church, whatever. I just want them to see Jesus. I want that to be the call of my life and I want that to be the call of my family. We're not real good at it, but I long for it. That a heartbeat would be that we exist for the glory of the one true God. If you ever come here and we seem to be about something else, please leave. Shake me and then leave. Because that's not the church I've ever wanted to be a part of. And it's not who I want to be as a person, as a follower of Christ. We exist for the glory of the one true God. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for <clears throat> the truth of your word. Lord, I thank you for the, the, the reality that the disconnect in my heart and my life is, is real. Um, I don't love admitting that, but it's just true. Lord, I, I want to be a, at a place where my claim to believe in Jesus as Lord is perfectly echoed in how I live. That's my passionate desire. Not there, but I want to be there. Lord, as a church, I want to be at the same place that our passionate claim that you are Lord would be met with our passionate surrender to that truth, that we just trust you. That if you want to build space out, we trust you. If you want to move us down the street, we trust you. If you want us to fold up shop, we trust you. You are Lord. Nothing changes that. Help us continually surrender to your Lordship. Lord, I know there are people in here this morning who have going through a, just a crazy hard season in life. Um, there have been some things that have happened that they're wrestling with trusting you on. Uh, business is really hard or busy. It's a really rough season. Lord, relationships or marriage is, is really hard. Or maybe it's been a long time where you've just felt like you're going to be single forever. Lord, maybe, you're, maybe we have families in here that are really wrestling with parts of their family life that have become exposed, children that are challenging, and finances that are just feel like a dumpster fire. And the truth is, God, it's really hard when life is as it is to fully trust you as Lord. We confess it, and we ask you to purge that from us, that we might fully embrace the idea that we exist for the glory of the one true God. Whatever that means, Lord, you get it all. That you use imperfect people for your glory and that Jesus alive in us is actually your glory on full display. And so, Lord, my prayer is this, and it's really simple. Let people see Jesus in me. Let people see Jesus in this church. Let people see Jesus in our families. He is the glory of God on full display. So, Lord, as we close our time in worship, I pray that you would just press those things into our hearts and that, Lord, we might fully embrace you for the glory of the one true God. Let's stand together and close our time in worship.